Psalm 19 ends with a verse that many, many churches, including this one, hear some version of most every Sunday. As their pastor prays before preaching, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The Simon scholar Jim May says that on the way to that confessional conclusion, the psalm speaks of three things. The creation's testimony to the creator. The incomparable value of the law of the Lord. Now that word Torah gets translated law, but it also means instruction. That's basically what we read in the Bible. And then third thing is the human need for divine forgiveness and protection. Listen now for God's word for us in Psalm 19. The heavens are telling the glory of God and the firmament proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech and night to night declares knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard, yet their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In the heavens he has set a tent for the sun which comes out like a bridegroom from his wedding canopy and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them and nothing is hid from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is clear, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are true, righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold sweeter also than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, In keeping them there is great reward. But, but who can detect their errors? Clear me from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from the insult. Do not let them have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. Well, today I will start with a story that may make you wonder if I lost my calendar. It's a Thanksgiving story. One Thanksgiving before our children came along, Betty and I were headed to her family's farm with several nieces riding with us. We told them about how on our ride from Raleigh to Roseville, we had been talking about things we were thankful for. And we gave a few examples. Our home, our church, our family. Then we, we asked them what they were thankful for. Well, some of them named the things you would expect. But do you know what one niece said? not telling. <laughs> we coaxed, we coaxed, we cajoled, we begged, but she was steadfast, not telling. 
along the way she said that that her class at school had discussed this very subject of thankfulness that day so we asked her what did you say you were thankful for and of course she said not telling <laughs> she did volunteer that one little boy had said he was thankful for socks and then she gave a look like can you imagine <laughs> Well, if you've had to walk around in shoes without socks, you'd be thankful for socks, too. <laughs> we were amused and, and a little frustrated, very curious. So we, along the way, we told her parents what their adorably cute and well-behaved, charming daughter had said. And my brother-in-law, of course, asked for himself, what'd you say you were thankful for, honey? And you know what she said. <laughs> Not telling. <laughs> well, guess what? almost four decades have passed since that time, that Thanksgiving, and she's still not telling. Well, I'll say that because the psalmist says that all of creation is telling. The heavens are telling the glory of God. The firmament proclaims God's handiwork. Have you all seen the firmament lately? Firmament's one of those King James Version road words that we read in the first chapter of Genesis where God said, it's on the second day, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the, from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above. And it was so, and God called the firmament heaven. And the evening and the morning were the second day. The psalmist says that all of creation declares God's awesome glory in speech that is silent, that has no words, that needs no words. You ever been watching these divers or skaters at the Olympics or other events, you know, and, and the commentators go, yak, 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 and you say, don't talk about the triple lutz. Just let me watch it. It's amazing to see. It needs no words, really. Well, and we've all been in situations that we're either so sad or so happy or so stunning that there was no adequate language. Words were grossly insufficient. And at times of great loss, when no one quite knows what to say, you know that a look, a hug, a touch express love and sympathy more eloquently than anything we could say. And God's glorious creation is like that. So many people, including some of y'all, post photographs of beautiful sunrises or sunsets that declare the glory of our Creator. That you can see right at the end of your driveway, right, Sharon? So the first six verses of Psalm 19 speak of how all of creation testifies to the glory of God. And then in verse 7, the psalmist kind of shifts gears to speak of the value of God's law. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect. And you know, that's where the problem comes because the law of the Lord is, as the psalmist declares, is perfect. But we aren't. God's law is perfect and you and I are not. But God has given his law, his instructions in the Bible for us to study and us to pray for guidance from the Holy Spirit to to know that path where to follow. 
And the psalmist says that God's law does four things. Revives the soul. Makes the simple wise. Rejoices the heart and enlightens our eyes. God's law, God's instruction, more desirable than gold. Sweeter than honey. By the way, you know, at that time, they had not invented sugar or molasses or chocolate or lemon cookies yet. So at that time, honey was the sweetest thing, the sweetest thing you could taste. Lastly, Psalm 19 says that God's law, God's instruction, gives warning and great reward. Kind of like lighthouses. Lighthouses don't tell ships at sea, Oh, come over here, come over here. Lighthouses warn ships of dangerous waters, dangerous shoals, places to avoid so you don't get shipwrecked. And so did the Ten Commandments. They warn us away from behaviors that would damage our relationship with God or with God's children. For example, lying, adultery, and stealing, they're not just wrong. They're wrong because... They damage community. They damage relationships. So the first six verses of this psalm speak of how all of creation testifies to the glory of God. And the next verses speak of the value of God's law. And then the next three or four verses address our need for God's forgiveness, God's protection. The 12th verse shifts to this confessional prayer. Who can detect their own errors? Clear me from hidden faults. Have you ever proofread something that you wrote by hand or typed or whatever only to have someone else discover glaring errors that you overlooked? The problem is we know what we meant to write or type so we don't see our own errors. Well, that's true in other parts of life, too. We see ourselves in a very different light than others do. Because of my very unusual color vision, that's literally true for me. But you see, I have an advantage. I know that my color perception is seriously flawed and that I need to rely on what Betty or Sarah tell me matches or even more important, doesn't match. (laughs) The challenge comes when we don't know We just don't see how rude or mean or wrong we have been. And when we get all self-righteous and saddle up that high horse, you know, that's where the challenge is. You may remember that before I started preaching, I was a psychologist, and the the ethical standards for psychologists say that if you believe that another psychologist has violated the ethical standards, the first thing you're to do the very first thing you do is talk with that person. And only if that conversation doesn't resolve issues, that's when you have to file a complaint or report with the ethics board. I'm glad I didn't have to initiate many of those conversations because everyone I had to, they were always awkward. Every single time the other person was angry. And they let me know in no uncertain terms they believed that they had done nothing, nothing wrong. And if anybody's wrong, it was me, not them. I'm also happy I never had to proceed to that step where you have to report a 
a violation. Well, you may be thinking, well, you're not a psychologist, so our ethical standards, they don't apply to you, right? Wrong, they do. In the 18th chapter of Matthew, Jesus says, if another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If that member listens to you, you've, re you've regained that one. And then he goes on to explain that if that doesn't work out, you talk again with a couple of other folks along. You see, Jesus didn't say, well, if there's a problem, just keep your mouth shut. He didn't say that. And he did not say, well, if there's something wrong, go tell everybody on your phone list what that person did and what you think of it. Everybody except the offender. He said, we've got to talk it out. Psalm 19 tells us that all of creation testifies to God's glory and so does God's law, God's instruction. And then the psalm confesses our need for God's forgiveness, God's protection. But what about us? Are we not telling, like our niece, are we not telling how God has blessed us? Are we not telling where God's blessed us? You know, most churches, including this one, want to grow, want to thrive. And most churches want the pastor to make it happen. But I'm here to tell you the truth is, there are studies on this. Studies show that people come to a church mainly because someone they knew invited them. A friend told them where they were blessed, where they were spiritually fed in a particular specific faith community. Several years ago, Betty and I hired a company to do some major renovation and improvement on our house. You may remember one time I told you about how I struck up a conversation with one of the fellows that I seemed to be paying a whole lot of money to do nothing. <laughs> Well, it turned out his job was to clean up the work site and haul off all the debris. And while he waited to do his job, this immigrant told me about his life. How he had been a big drinker and partier for a long time and done a lot of other things he was ashamed of and wasn't going to confess to me that day. But then he said he gave his life to Jesus Christ. He said, Jesus did not just save my soul. Jesus saved my life. I'd be dead if it weren't for him. We need to share what matters in our life. All of us have an appointment with our maker. And on that day, God may ask us, what you do in your life? Might ask us, well, I know you had faith, but who'd you tell about it? Who'd you talk to about it? Who'd you tell what Jesus means to you? And I just don't think not telling will be an acceptable answer to our Lord, our rock, and our Redeemer. Thanks be to God. The poet Mary Oliver wrote a three-line poem she called Instructions for Living a Life. Pay attention, be astonished, tell about it. 
So our job is not to be not telling, but to pay attention to all the ways God is around us all the time, blessing us and blessing us with so many things in nature and in relationships with people. Be astonished and tell about it as you go to love and serve the Lord and, and all of God's children.